Thanks for joining us at the SBP Podcast, the voice of mobile film. This is episode 35, and I'm your host, Susie Botello. Welcome to the SBP podcast, the voice of mobile film. I am here with uh, sponsors from last year's film festival, uh, Neil and Jaina Hallford. Did I pronounce that right? Yes, you did. Oh, good job. <laughs> to me. <laughs> um, they are uh, really, they, uh, their company, their sponsoring company is called Swords and Circuitry. And they're from San Diego, which is wonderful. And uh, one of the things that I want to emphasize in this podcast is how, uh, how should I say this, Uh, companies, local companies should sponsor local film festivals, especially mobile film festivals, because that's what what we are. Um, But I wanted to... uh, Instead of me doing an introduction, I would like to have you guys introduce yourselves. Uh, first of all, you know, just a little bit about your background, like movie stars, right? Uh, just a little bit of your backgrounds and how you came to get into this crazy artistic uh, video and film and, um, you know, industry in the first place. Um, well, I've been doing this kind of uh, for a long time, actually. Uh, I, I got into filmmaking when I was 13 years old. Wow. And I discovered a, a magazine called Cinemagic Magazine, mm-hmm. and which was about making, uh, doing special effects in particular, but uh, it was about kids using their Super 8 cameras uh, mm-hmm. to shoot their own backyard uh, films. So the Super 8 movie was about you. <laughs> it, it was. It was totally about me, except for the fact that that kid had way better friends than I did. Uh, because I was like the only person that was really into it, and everybody else was like, eh, whatever. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, that's actually how I got my first kind of footsteps into into filmmaking, uh, was working with uh, Super 8 stuff back in the day. And uh, I later went on to college. I went through radio, television, film production uh, at the University of Oklahoma. Uh, of course, uh, I'm, I'm being good right now. You can't hear my accent as much because I'm behaving myself. <laughs> um, but uh, every once in a while, the oak can come out, and, and it's it's pretty bad sometimes. Plus, but you're a you're an audio personality. I'm right? an audio person, and so <laughs> I, I did work in radio for uh, a on and off for about five years. Yeah, a lot of people don't know you have to have the mid- Midwest. Uh, accent well, that, that, for the most of course, part. You know, for, for a number of years, there was the, the Mid-Atlantic <laughs> accent that they have. But Chicago was actually the how they trained a lot of the the announcers. They wanted everyone to sound like they were from Chicago. Hmm. And so apparently this was sort of the thing. But you didn't have the really thick, you know, kind of right. Chicago accent. But <laughs> but still, that's what they trained for. But anyway, I, I did five years uh, in radio. And then I took this weird tour through uh, working in the computer gaming industry. Wow, uh, cool. which is still primarily sort of my bread and butter where I, I make uh, make my living. Um, but uh, then we got into independent film or this stuff. You know, I got into film, so Jaina and I did 
uh, back in 2007. Wow. And so uh, uh, um, you want to kind of talk about us dipping our toe in that particular pool? or? All right. Well, I just wanted to give a little bit about my background. Um, I was actually a visual art major, so I'm very visually oriented. But um, like Neil, when I was in college back then, it was very expensive to go into filmmaking. So I thought it was really interesting visual storytelling, but that was something you needed quite a budget to be able to do. You know, now, you know, especially in the past 10, 15 years, the technologies have changed. There's, um, it's really, there's been quite a bit of democratization of filmmaking, which is one of the reasons we love sponsoring the film festival. But anyway, something that I really um, felt very strongly is, you know, I was in my college years and, and being a, um, the, a professional track art major was I really realized how much I loved being around creative people and decided whatever I did in the future, I wanted to be around creative people and encourage creativity. And so that was something that Neil and I had in common when we met. And so um, when we had been married about five years, we um, did a book together. He had a book contract to do a book about the creative side of computer games and uh, the storytelling and world building, etc. But right when he got the contract, he also got um, a work contract and he was busy creating a game. So I asked if I could help him write the book because I've done a lot of writing um, for marketing and for corporations. And one of the things I'm able to do, I discovered, um, was that if I hear someone speak, I can write as if I am them. So I've been the voice of different CEOs for different companies and all. I've just asked them a few questions about something and then been able to write a column for them. And uh, so anyway, that worked pretty well. That's so, a very unique and interesting uh, talent. In, in, um, for writing for, for companies, it was a very good one. Yeah. To, it, it kept me going for a long time. But anyway, um, so our first our book together was called Swords and Circuitry, A Designer's Guide to Computer Role-Playing Games. And so that's where our company, that was our first project. That I mean, we've always helped each other with our creative projects, but that was our first one we were really... Um, officially. Officially and, and definitely a lot of back and forth and interesting discussions about things and stuff. So anyway, um, as Neil mentioned, as time went by um, and we discovered what a vibrant local filmmaking community we have in San Diego... Um, we started making connections with people here, and we have a wonderful film community. And um, then later, when we found out about the, the Mobile Film Festival, we talked about it, and both um, have been very enthusiastic about sponsoring, because, as I mentioned, there's been this democratization of filmmaking, and um, modern-day mobile phones, phones are such a wonderful filmmaking tool and it was really exciting to see people from around the world submitting wonderful, beautiful things. And so anyway, um, that's something that we both really enjoyed because we both appreciate people that encouraged us creatively and still do. And we want to encourage, encourage um, filmmaking. And so the, the, mobile, the International Mobile Film Festival is a perfect way to do it. Yeah, I, I think that... that um, one of the things about the the film festival here that that Susie had, in, in some respects, I really kind of felt like we kind of comes full circle mm -hmm. uh, because uh, shooting with that old Super Eight 
camera of mine, uh, you know, a, a lot of people would say, well, you need to have a big 35 millimeter camera. You have to work in Hollywood. That was the, the thing that frustrated me. Don't when you it love it when people say you have to, you yes. have to, you have to. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that was the frustrating thing for me in college because I assumed if I wanted to make film, I had to go to Hollywood. And the other rule was, well, if you are going to go to Hollywood, you need to know someone's there. How are you going to get in the door? And I didn't particularly want to go out to Hollywood and work at Burger King in the hopes that I could find some way to get onto a studio set. And so I focused on radio uh, back in the day. But it left me with a permanent sympathy for the people who are the independent creators that are out there is, how can you do this on your own? And then, of course, bang, you know, lo and behold, about 2007, uh, started discovering all these people that are make, making amazing films with, um, you know, making amazing films uh, with, with video recorders and everything else and stuff that looked very much like Hollywood films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're doing it on their own on small budgets. And so, and then, lo- then a few years roll by and bang. Here we've got mobile phones and a lot of people not necessarily taking them seriously at yeah. first. And of course, that's that's changing. You know, we've got a lot of big name directors that are now making films with mobile phones. And so I'm seeing kind of the same thing happen all over again. And so uh, I have a lot of respect for for what Susie's doing with this festival, for all the filmmakers that came out You know, this last year. This was our first year sponsoring uh, the festival. And I was just amazed by all the creativity and the passion that these people were bringing to to their films. So it was a natural for for Jane and I both. Yeah, and you know the one thing when you were talking about the the Super Eight as opposed to the other big film cameras that they were using at the time. I know you were just a kid and everything, but there's a comfort level and uh, a personal storytelling aspect. When that happens, you know, when you're holding a camera that's this small, not just behind the camera, but in front of the camera when you have actors or as they call in the industry subjects, because not everyone is always acting. It could be, you know, a report or something like that. And that's one of the things I'm starting to really uh, promote the personalization with the democratization. (laughs) Do I sound like I'm doing a rap thing here? Um, Of storytelling, because we're all storytellers, right, Jaina? Oh, very much so. And that's that's something that whatever medium we're working in, we see it as storytelling. And, And I was just thinking when you were talking about, you know, the two of you were talking about, you know, the evolution of 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 um, that kind of very personal um, low-budget filmmaking is right before all of this hit, right around the time Neil and I were starting to get involved in the local filmmaking community, you started to see um, large, expensive Hollywood productions that were trying to look like found video footage or like somebody's shaky cam running from the monster-type stuff. And so it's funny how the two areas have sort of crossed, you know, where you have some things that can be done, um, you know, with a 35 millimeter camera or, or a phone that can be just as beautiful as anything, you know, that came out of a larger studio. And then you can also have larger studios trying hard to look like a homemade, homemade film. So, um, I've, I've just kind of enjoyed that visually seeing, seeing that happen and the, the little joys of irony and ironies of, of that situation. 
Yeah, I um, was particularly proud uh, back whenever Paranormal Activity came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Paranormal Activity was made here in San Diego, uh, a fellow game designer who became a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know Oren personally. He was actually another what game was, company. What was his full name? His name is Oren Pelly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, anyway, Oren uh, rented a house for a weekend. He spent $17,000 making Paranormal Activity. Wow. And it made bajillions yeah. of money because he sold he uh, you know he made the film and they turned around and he took it to sundowns or i can't remember where it was and then parent you know, i think it was paramount uh mm. bought the paranormal activity one and then spent millions of dollars on advertising oh, wow. for that film uh but again it was a film that was made for seventeen thousand dollars which to a lot of people sounds like a lot of money but for making something that that went into theaters all around the world uh that's pretty awesome return on <laughs> yeah what you know? was that one with heath ledger um the cowboy one for some reason my mind just went blank oh you're talking about brokeback mountain yeah so that one started out as an independent film and it was selling out you know in the local low budget theaters and um i believe it was because of that sort of went this is before youtube videos and everything going viral it went viral basically and that's when the big distribution company came in and got that film so they could distribute it to the big movie houses and everything and uh and it won awards and everything like that so you know it's kind of like in that same concept of it really comes down to the story and the skill of of people to how they're going to structure a story and Sometimes it's hard to tell what what's going to do something like that for you. But because I believe we all have a phone um, that gives you the opportunity to at least give it a shot without really losing much. That is a really good film to bring up, Brokeback Mountain, because one of the things that I noticed people commented on, people that would know that we're from ranches in the Midwest and all, I mean, this was a film that was set back in time about 30 years from when it was made, but so I think it was the 60s, and people commented how well the filmmaker captured ranch life, that that was something very familiar. He was Asian too, right? Isn't that interesting, though? Mm -hmm. But this is somebody that did their homework, that did their study, so I love that, you know, that that's a good example of how an independent filmmaker still was able to put as much research and thought and care as a, as a full-blown, much higher-budget thing. And um, Neil and I have noticed that with, with filmmaking, with independent filmmaking, a lot of it, how much attention is put into lighting, sound, things like that, it can really make a huge difference. And I love when um, we go to events like the, the Mobile Film Festival, hearing people um, talk to each other and share information about, you know, apps and information and lenses and, you know, lighting and all these things that 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 they learned the hard way and want to share with someone else. So I, I enjoy the the filmmaking communities in in San Diego and from what I can tell worldwide are very collaborative. Mm-hmm. There are people that would that that are willing to help and that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, I I I really can't say uh, anything? Oh, uh, no, <laughs> no, uh, but but uh, no, I really can't say enough about uh, the marvelous community that we have here in San Diego. Uh, we've been really, extremely, fortunately, 
uh, blessed by people that are here in town uh, because whenever we've worked on almost anything, it's just people have come out of the woodwork and said, we want to be involved and we want to do something. I'll sleep on the floor. I'll do whatever to make uh, make a film. I mean, some people that are working, quote unquote, professionals, as if that's, you know, someone who doesn't do something with a mobile phone. Now you're not a professional. Um, uh, But uh, that's sort of ridiculous. Uh, But as if the device is what made you professional. Um, Well, and we can't, I mean, yeah, it's a real film. It's a real story. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, and and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have, Mm -hmm. I waited a few years and I didn't wait. It just happened to be that way because Mm -hmm. I was looking for the big screen venue. Mm -hmm. To, to do these and to give people that respect. Otherwise, I just don't think people would have really picked up on it mm-hmm. until they got that kind of respect. Right. Otherwise, it would have just continued to be an online video type of a thing. One of the great joys about sponsoring and attending the film festival was seeing mobile filmmakers see some of them were seeing their films on a larger screen for the first time and that's a wonderful thing and I think getting to see how well their work holds up on large format was a a very satisfying thing that's one of the things I really treasure and the audience to be able to see and not just regular people but their peers right uh watching their film and their reactions yeah and for comedies laughing in the right places <laughs> or you know for things that were powerful being moved by them there was a lot going on there and that was just wonderful to witness and be part of yeah in particular i really enjoyed uh kind of watching Narelle. yeah uh because for our listeners she won third prize yeah. she's um the actor yeah and and uh uh i i really we really enjoyed uh kind of watching her watching her film and uh and we were all the more, all the happier whenever we were able to to give her an award for her yeah. for her film and yeah, for having traveled be- from Australia and I, I should mention that Neil and Jaina were each separately judging uh the films as well you know with another judge Penny Styles um and the one thing that I told you guys was you hush from each other don't talk, don't discuss, don't anything, so that it would be like two completely different people, which it was. You know, you're still individual even though you're married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, yeah, when uh, it was a surprise to you that she took the – because um, I, yeah, didn't I didn't know. tell anybody. We didn't know because, we, we, you know, yeah. we, we kept our ballots secret from each other and yeah. turned them in. And, of course, we, we didn't know how the third person was going to be voting at all. Um, and so – uh, it was so. Whenever some of the people were had you know, knew that we were judges, and they were coming up, up and asking, you know, sort of trying to hint, trying to get an idea of what happened. I said, <laughs> honestly, we have no idea. Yeah. I, I don't know how Jana voted. I don't know how this other person voted. So I don't know how, if, uh, how things would fall out. The most I could tell people said, I liked your film. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, I'm not going to tell you how much <laughs> how much right. I liked your film. Uh, but but uh, but uh, anyway, that was. Uh, that was wonderful, and and I, I I think it was really great to have people coming from so many different places to come and see the film. And I'm just looking forward to next year for us having people from even further afield and, and right. different places. How did you get further than Australia? Oh my know. god, that's I don't know. Like just a whole different. <laughs> they're even having winter right now while we're enjoying our 112 degree summer. Maybe we should <laughs> go there. <laughs> well, you know, we are invited. <laughs> um, 
one of the things, you know, just to kind of segue into this, because uh, we were talking about storytelling, but there's another form of star- storytelling as maybe it can be done with a phone. I don't know. Uh, possibly if there's a will, I'm sure there's a way. Um, but there's another sort of uh, storytelling that you guys do with um, with your company. Um, and you, it's, uh, what is it called? Uncharted Uncharted regions. regions. Yeah. What is that about? Um, so Uncharted Regions is kind of been a pet project for mine for a really long time. Um, back whenever I told you before that I'd worked on radio, well, three days after I graduated from high school, uh, I went to work with a buddy of mine at a local radio station and we started messing around with production studios, so we would do a lot of kind of crazy things for weather reports and some other stuff. But as time went by, we decided to get a little more, increasingly a little more adventurous, and so we started. Uh, we decided one year that we were going to produce a show, sort of like the War of the Worlds broadcast that Orson Welles had done. Mm. Uh, and it's so we did that favorites. for for for, uh, for uh, Halloween. We decided to take basically a local legend called the Bulldog Man and turn this into a radio drama, which was called Shadow of the, the of the Bulldog Man. Um, so we actually had a really good response to that. And uh, I mean, it was a kind of a tiny radio station, so it wasn't a lot of response, but, <laughs> um, but, but we got a nice response to that. And so we decided over the next several years to start producing uh, episodes of the series that we called radio uh, uncharted regions sort of on and off uh, between 1984 and, and 89. And mm-hmm. so I was, so I went off to college, which made things a little more complicated, but um, anyway, so that project, uh, out of that, I created uh, several scripts for the radio dramas. Those scripts, in turn, got me work in the computer gaming industry. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And then, uh, so, but the whole, the radio drama series sort of went dormant for a number of years. So then fast forward to last summer, and uh, Jaina and I were at a point where we weren't really in a position that we could make uh, a film, but we're saying, well, what could we do with the resources that we have on hand? And I said, well, we know a lot of actors. And uh, we said, let's actually uh, start, well, let's go back and start making some new, a uh, new, basically revive Uncharted Regions. And so we started off with two scripts from the original series that had not been produced. They had been written, but we, I'd run out of time to have them produced as, as audio dramas. And so... But there's, a, but there's this whole so so one if you don't mind mm-hmm. um, one aspect of that of an audio drama is that it's all what you hear so there's no breaking it up with video where you can get away with cheating a little bit with sound right because you can see things so everything has to be heard yeah. and the quality and those tricks you know and you do foley and all that too. How does how, what made you feel comfortable enough to do all that? Were that skill was that something you had already developed or? Well, I wanted to comment that when Neil was um, was doing the um, the sound for our short film, when we did um, the case of evil, I, I get to hear soundtracks a lot when there's editing going on, mm-hmm. and I I remember telling him that other than the the, the middle part of the film. You know, other than the setup in the beginning and then the end, a lot of it really would work as an audio play. 
And so in there's um, audio is something that besides the you know visual is very important too, but Neil's very, very careful as well about audio. And so I was struck by how well that held up. So we had that in mind when we were starting the um, the audio drama series. And I, I've said this before, but I tease Neil about being his own intern <laughs> because he's collaborating with his younger self, you know, his his late teens to early 20s self. And so, and and actually that kid was pretty darn good. So uh, <laughs> anyway, it's, it's, it's been a fun thing to do, but the audio element was already there. But you're right, you know, some things that you can show visually that, that, that film is so good for. And there were so many good examples at the Mobile Film Festival. Um, yeah, you have to, we, we have music, we have sound. It doesn't always have to be dialogue that tells the story. But um, it also, to me, really heightens, like in, in one that is still being worked on right now that's almost finished, the different personalities, the way polar opposite people play off against each other and all, that seems, if anything, a little more pronounced because all we have is the sound. Yeah. And so like someone who's expressive mm-hmm. and then someone that's a person of fewer words and, you know, less effusive, you know, that it really, it really seems to highlight that, at least for me. How do you how do you do that, Neil? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, the main thing is is that you have to think about sound in the same way a cinematographer does about visuals, and so they say that ev- everything in the story has to be told with sound. Now, that may be a piece of dialogue, that may be a sound effect, that may be just music, uh, and so you have to kind of break it down and think about. How am I going to convey this particular idea, and what's the best way to do that? Uh, it starts with with you've you've got to have really solid dialogue mm-hmm. first and foremost. The dialogue, you know, the story has to be, and the dialogue has to be there because uh, you know you don't see the it, with a regular script. You have the the, the uh, descriptions for what's going on in the scene and everything else, and you say, okay, he walks across the room. Okay, well. You know, in a film, that's easy enough. You know, the <laughs> actor walks across, and maybe you add some foley to it to, to make add some other interest. But but that's there. But uh, then you get into really obscure things like you want to convey the sense of a character turns around to talk to another character, um, and so you say, "How do I convey that?" And so I spend some crazy time with foley where. I'm looking for just the right sound effect of how they move their feet. Like a jacket or something. Yeah, a jacket or something else like that. And the hard part is playing a balance between it needs to be enough there that I convey the action, but you don't want to suddenly thrust it into people's (laughs) face because, uh, uh, you know. The captivation. You want to keep them captivated in the story and not throw them off. Yeah, and it it becomes distracted if suddenly the the coat is the loudest thing in the scene. Right. (laughs) And, and something I wanted to mention is, you know, as far as we're concerned, these are films for the ears. Mm-hmm. And because some people, when we first mentioned we were doing audio dramas, assumed that we were doing the um, kind of live radio type thing where, you know, I think like Prairie Home Companion does those where there's humorous. Like in the old days yes, type of a thing? where they like emulate the, the old ones. dramas or something. And there's, but sometimes with those, there's silly sound effects or, yeah. you know, things that are, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, the coconut shells to be horse, horse 
you know, horses clopping by and all. And we have stuck. <laughs> Neil with, is over here doing a lot of that right now. No, we're using the same kind of sound effects and sound libraries for things that you would for a visual film because we want this to be, um, even if we're doing something lighthearted, we want the storytelling to be taken seriously, that it's not a spoof of right. storytelling. It's, it's, it's the real thing. That's that's one thing that I definitely can say where I think my over the years my approach to sound has changed is because I'm definitely coming at it now from film, mm-hmm. you know, and thinking about how would I do the, the sound for this if it was a film scene, right? Uh, and so uh, you know, sounds move around in the sound field. People walk and they move left or right across the sound field. And, and in a film, you can do you, you know just you know the natural sound of a room you know, as a separate track so you can play with it during oh, yeah. your editing. If you're at a train station, you want to go there, you know, you want to record the trains going by and all that before you even start. Yeah. Well, we, we, we film, you know, we film, yeah. <laughs> we tape in a, a dead a room record. as we as we can. Of course, we've we've been really lucky. We've had, uh, the first one was taped at KPBS Studios here in town. And when you say tape, are you actually using tape or are you just recording it into audio files? <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. Okay. Well, then film wouldn't really be film, would right. it, these days? <laughs> How about capture? There you go. <laughs> uh, um, but whenever we've been doing captures, uh, again, we it's we have them record in as dead a room as possible. Uh, you know, the hard part is, is that whenever two actors are, uh, you know, we haven't had the luxury yet of a, like a true Disney ISO booth. Mm. where you've got two people or three people and they're all in completely separate little rooms with a microphone. Right. Uh, and so the challenge just becomes to tell people, said, okay, in reality, the two of you are going to step on each other's lines, okay. right? You know, so because you're getting really excited, you're angry, and so you're going to start, you kind of step on this other uh, uh, character's lines. I can't have you do that <laughs> because there's, they're, they're standing next to each other. And so I can't, when I'm editing, I can't, adjust either of those things. Right. And so you basically have to hold back on it a little bit. Give me half a second or a second of dead air between your takes so that I can then go back and edit them individually. And so we record, um, we, we usually will go through the whole thing three times hmm. in a recording session. The first one, we basically just let the tape roll. We don't stop. We don't give notes. We just let the whole thing run so that they get warmed up. And so the engineer... And you figure out the timing. Well, we figure out the, the timing bit. also. So the engineer can has an has an idea of where levels are going mm-hmm. to be. and, and But it's, it's really just a warm-up, really, for them. Now, occasionally, we get something amazing out of that because it's completely fresh. It's the first time they've done it. And so we just kind of sit back and say, okay, we might have something really amazing there. Second time through, we go through and we do it two or three pages at a time. And it's really focused on, okay, that was great. Uh, why, don't, why don't you go back, give me another take on line. Every, everything's numbered, so give me another take on line, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and the third time is uh, a little bit sort of exploratory. We'll mm-hmm. go through and say, try a different take on this or, or what have you, but... And that's when we get to say, okay, now you get to fall over five different ways or <laughs> give us several screams like you're in agony or, you know, that's, that's, and that's when you're really glad you're in a real studio so the neighbors aren't alarmed. <laughs> yeah, because it does get kind of kind of crazy in, in that. But, um, but then I take home all of these tracks and I turn them into confetti because I literally take every single take and cut it up into a little chunk, 
Uh, and then I'll go through every one of the takes and say, okay, I like this take versus this take. I like the first half of this take and the last half of this other take. And I do Frankenstein, of what I call Frankenstein takes, mm-hmm. where I will chop up all the little different pieces and create the perfect performance of that line. Right. Out of all of the different I'm performances just, I I used to be a media manager. And you know what I'm visualizing right now? I'm visualizing a folder filled with subfolders. Uh, on your on your computer, and every one of those has different names in in subsequence, and you've got to somehow put a little bit of a description so that you know what you're getting into when you when you're mm-hmm. using each one of them. That's a that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's it's, it's a lot of work, and, and so every single performance is you know a, a reduced to a line, yeah. you know, and then the lines I then manually go in. And, and the timing of every, every single one of those things, I manually create. Mm. And so if they, they need to have someone says something and there's a little bit of a beat, I add that beat manually by spreading the, the takes apart. Um, or if I have them overlapping, then I've got to add that overlap. And so. And another thing that Neil's really careful about that with regular filmmaking is less of an issue. You know, when you are filming people and you're, they're acting opposite each other, there is a natural separation of space. You know, some everybody's standing in specific places, whether it's around a table or one person in a car and one person on the street. And so um, there's things that need to be done with just sound to make sure you convey that. For example, in one that we're finishing up right now, there's a scene where some people are on horseback and one person is not. And so trying to create the kind of distance yeah. between the speakers that's something you don't think about as much with with visual filming you know with filming and except other than how to mic people and you know of course you're also right. thinking about how to light them and things like that and making sure everybody's um going to have equal quality sound and everything but that thing of trying to artificially set up where the players are is is i think pretty unique to the audio drama yeah the Instead of having sets, right. we have soundscapes that we have to create. And so whenever we, you know, there's, there's an opening scene to the episode. The episode we're talking that Janus is referring to is one called These Haunted Hills. And it features a scene between Gigi Edgeley, who was in Farscape. Uh, we were really happy to have her. She was amazing. And uh, Randy Davison, who is sort of, we call our, our Swiss Army knife, uh, <laughs> because he he's probably... Uh, the best, if, if not one of the best uh, voice actors in town. Mm. And uh, there's a scene, as she said, that whenever he rides up on horseback, but there's a, there's a whole scene of they're on a farm. How do you get a horse in a studio? Yeah, it was difficult. <laughs> um, and, and the hardest part was getting to drink water. Uh, right. But um, no, uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, but no, the uh, digital horses, unfortunately, right. uh, only. But, but they did a good, good, very good job. They were very directable. Uh, you know, if you have a horse that's, you know, making these particular sounds is that it isn't necessarily a moment where you've scripted a particular moment where the horse now says, you know, goes, right. or whatever, mm-hmm. but you just go realistically, it's tired. It's been standing there for a few minutes or something. It's going to make a noise. Yeah. And so you, and you find those kind of small opportune moments to add just a little bit of life and variety to the environment. So that, that's the real challenge. And being picky about the sounds that you use because it's easy to have too many horses 
when we only needed like two or three. And, you know, it, it's, mm. it's not, a, you know, it seems like everything was either one horse or a stampede there when we were looking <laughs> through things. But, um, and then with sound, we had to convey the same things we would in a regular film of, as Neil mentioned, the setting is a pretty newly terraformed Mars. And so this is an early phase of colonization, you know, just, and, and so, um, you're painting a world where it's a weird mix of high technology and rather primitive circumstances. So, you know, there's people going around on hasp on, on horseback, but there's also um, robot assisted. Kind of like the old Star Wars, you know, like when they go into the bar and stuff like that. That's interesting. And, and that's what helps give some character and story to, you know, some context to there because you know, and you, you start wondering about things like, well, who would be some of the first people to go up? You know, would it, it probably not a whole lot of, um, probably a lot of people that have unusual things in their lives that would take them there. You know, that's also got, part of the storytelling, connecting the viewer with familiar sounds. And, and I'm thinking about sounds now more than visuals, but with familiar sounds so they can, so you don't have to really have to explain that. It's like they'll connect the sound of an animal say it's a horse, but maybe it's a Martian horse, you know, they still understand that it's some sort of a horse that someone can ride in or something, right? Well, I, I think <laughs> that, that that's probably one of the challenges of doing science fiction. If you're doing science fiction that is not something like the X-Files or, or something along those lines, but if it's something where it's far future or far enough future that you could have alien animals mm-hmm. and you go, well, the hard part about it is you start getting too exotic mm-hmm. with the sound effects. People don't have any context unless somebody says, oh, look, there's a 12-footed, you know, Zargablag. That happens a lot there. in films. It, um, it can happen a lot with films, too, sometimes. And actually, when I first started in video production, there was the going round advice of you don't want to be the, the, the producer or the editor and the camera person at the same time because people tend to fall in love with their own B-roll basically. Um, I didn't have that problem. I just hated everything anyways. No, <laughs> but, um, but the, the, that could be a problem with that where people are, you know, just falling in love with the aesthetics, uh, of something, whether it's visual or audio, you know, and it takes away from the stories. Like, let's not forget the story, not just the dialogue, but the whole concept of the story. And, you, know. you know, in the same way that, that the visuals have to, in some way, yeah. serve the story, you know, give me context of place or tell me something about uh, where I am or how a character even may be feeling. I can tell by the frame of the shot. The same thing is true with sound. Yeah. It needs ultimately to tell me something either about uh, something going on in the story or at least tell me something about the environment so I have some context for whatever I'm listening to. Yeah. And then there's the whole thing of keeping the story moving. You know, that there were some funny lines in this last one that got cut. There's always a few things that get cut. And on the one hand, I can feel bad for our actors because most of them, a lot of them count how many lines they have and things like that. But if if it's for the good of the overall story, sometimes that, that has to be done. But something I wanted to mention was that something that I think is one of the biggest compliments we've gotten is when people have hear, heard our audio dramas, they've said, I could see it. Yeah. I was just saying I could see the movie in my head, and that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to do is give enough that they their their brain can fill in the visuals. 
Yeah, that's something that we learned in in video and film production as well. Is like the audio part is very visual, and and it takes you a while to go, what? What do you mean the audio is very visual? And yeah, well, think of the tense moments in regular film. You know, where something sometimes you will hear something like the snap of a twig or a rattle on a door that you're not seeing that, but you're feeling what the person that's you know, afraid or alarmed or whatever Hitchcock is suddenly here. Yes. yes. Yeah, there's a um, horror movies have a lot of that sort of mm-hmm. things where um, often the actual circumstances, the actual visual setting can be kind of mundane, but then there's a sound that is like stopping someone in their tracks or telling somebody, oh no, this is like way worse than I thought. Yeah. And sometimes it's the quiet. Broken by the anticipation. A sound. Yes, <laughs> there's many ways to create tension. Um, great, great many ways to manipulate the emotions of people to to really put them in the shoes of whoever the protagonist is. Well, I do definitely think you know, uh, in talking about the film festival and filmmaking and all that, that audio is something that. It's it's really important. I mean, people, you can get away with low quality visually, but the sound, people are just not forgiving when it comes to the sound. And it gets to be, you know, for our listeners who are making films with smartphones and things like that, sometimes they forget because they're looking through, you know, through the screen, right? And they're seeing everything and they're trying to pay attention to, you know, there's apps and all this stuff, but most of them concentrate more on on the visual part. And then the the audio is killing it, you know, the story. It's it's a certain conceit of filmmakers. Yeah. And of course I think, well, it's a visual, you know, storytelling medium. Well, yes, that's true. That's that's absolutely important. But it's multimedia. But it's multimedia yeah. and the reality thing about it is is that we connect emotionally more to sound and music mm-hmm. than we do to visual things. A visual thing will certainly tell me a story, uh, but the emotional context of a scene will completely change if you change the audio, if you change the, the sound. You know, I don't know how many times uh, that, that I have had a, a scene where it seemed like it was okay. It wasn't necessarily a great scene, but it was, wasn't a bad scene. And then I laid in the right music, and then, oh, my God, it completely transforms I could almost hear one of our listeners for some reason. Sometimes this happens to me where they're thinking about silent movies. But, you know, in the old silent movies, their acting was more like theater-like. Their expressions were very big, and it's sort of... I mean, you can look back on it now, and you kind of think it's funny and silly almost, Mm -hmm. you know, because the emotions are just so grandiose. But it's because the audio is missing. The audio is missing, and so those camera angles were up in your face. Right. You know, you're real tight on the eyes, so I can see uh, see all that stuff. Um, but uh, but yeah, well, we we love silence and and yeah. everything else too. But and they uh, used music, you know, and things like that. A, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we think of of them being silent, but in usually they were performed in a theater with a piano player. Right. And so they weren't. Or an entire thinking, symphony. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Something that is really good that is most creative people are good problem solvers or learn to be. Mm -hmm. And so it was fun at the Mobile Film Festival hearing people talk about their work, you know, that um, more than one film um, 
the the person that created it said they had to dub the dialogue later because it hadn't come out the way they wanted. And I kind of smiled because with the filmmaking that we've done, you start to learn things. You learn why sound stages were created, especially if you're trying to film outside somewhere or, oh, yeah. you know, under circumstances where there's where there's noise. You know, we were trying to do a very simple scene years ago and then didn't realize it was garbage truck day and it wasn't just one pass through. You know, they came for the recycle bins, they came for the yard waste. And so um, you really start to see where studios came from and things like that. But the things people figure out to do to get around some of these problems and their willingness to share that with others, you know, either in person at a film festival or on on the Internet through a, a YouTube-type tutorial, it's really nice to see that kind of workaround stuff being shared because, you know, obviously we don't all have, we're not all Paramount Studios, we don't all have access to vast down, down stages and, and huge, huge crews, but... Yeah, you you start seeing learning a lot about what Foley people do, and uh, sometimes you just can't even control it. I remember working on a film one time. We did I I can't remember like thirty takes or something, trying to get somebody who was just walking. They knocked on the door, it was somebody's house, and then they come in. Well, Joe, the leaf blower guy across the street, he was very annoyed with this crew there for like a week. So he decided, you know what, they're, you know, I'm going to get my retribution by, you know, weed whacking and doing the, the, the leaf blower. And finally, the, the actor ad-libbed, and when she opens the door, you know, you hear all that. And she says, so it's a beautiful day, but there is Joe with the leaf blower, and let's just come inside and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she just sort of ad-libbed it. And after that, we were like, that's a take. You know, we're that was exceptional, and you know sometimes that's where the after you've tried everything technically to get rid of that, the timing, everything, and finally you just go, you know what? We're just gonna grab our sense of humor and make the best of it, <laughs> and add the. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. Uh, whenever we were at the festival, I know that uh, the gentleman who uh, uh, brought a requiem, and I'm blanking on his name right now. I feel bad. Oh, Brian, uh, Brian. McLean. Yeah, Brian. Uh, that Brian, uh, that I think most of a Requiem, killer's requiem, a yeah. killer's requiem. I think most of it was dubbed, or, or whatever. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what what was? But it was just kind of funny though, because it re- actually went, reminded me as you go back to a lot of films in the fifties and sixties, and you yeah. see how much of those old films. It's one of those things that, as a filmmaker, I'm much more conscious of now because I go back and I watch, go that lip that isn't quite right yeah. or, or whatever, but you just realize it said that it was all dubbed and they thought a lot less about it back then. Now we're perfectionists. Now I want the sound in the moment, in the environment. Um, yeah. And, and we so, don't even think about it, but you didn't, you know, people can tell mm-hmm. just this little slight little thing and they'll get annoyed with it. I, I've, I've seen films where the, the sinking isn't right just for a hair. And it's like, Oh, it's annoying. And to this day, often things where people are being filmed in a moving vehicle, <laughs> the, the moving background doesn't sync up right for, for how fast they're supposed to be going or anything, but that drives us a little nuts. Or but what you're looking at the window, they forgot to put the actual image there. They used, and it's all, I think I saw that on Transformers, and I'm going, that's a multi billion dollar film. They couldn't have put something in the background of that, you know, you can see it throughout, except this one short little scene. And you're going, it's all white in the windows. What happened <laughs> when you saw the green hills in the background throughout the whole thing? It was thing. a glary yeah. day. I don't yeah. know. Right, yeah. So, 
Um, so what is the, you know, this thing that you have going now, uh, for our listeners, um, we, we're going to do our mobile filmmaking panel at Comic-Con and, um, and then we've also, because of this particular podcast, I thought I'd have to explain this, but we are doing the podcast now. So that's a good, (laughs) (laughs) um, we're also invited to, to Neil's, um, and Jaina's, um, panel as well yeah we've got two separate panels yeah. this year um so uh, uh the first one is uh, on thursday at one o'clock in the library uh sounding starting to sound like a clue it's, yeah you know. i was gonna say the mustard guy with the, cl- the candle holder <laughs> uh, but it, so it's thurs- thursday at one in the, the the neil morgan auditorium of the library um, and we're going to bring on a various friends of ours who do different kinds of podcasts. And so, uh, the main thrust of it is called heroes at the mic. And the main thrust of it is people talk about the ins and outs of making their podcasts. What are their challenges? How do they find their audiences? Uh, and just kind of talk about their experiences in, in running podcasts. Cause there's a lot of people that are interested in the topic and some people think it's something really arcane and they need to understand all this other stuff. If I'm and, doing it. Hey. <laughs> Um, and, uh, we're just going to go kind of go through and talk to people about what are your experiences running podcasts and what advice do you have and that sort of thing. And so thank you for graciously agreeing to be on our panel. You may not want me there now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, we will be very happy to have you there. Um, and then, and then on Friday, uh, we are, uh, sharing our most recent episode of Uncharted Regions. Uh, again, uh, that one is going to be Friday. Uh, in the same place, in the Neil Morgan Auditorium of the Library. Uh, So 3 o'clock, and uh, the great thing about it is we're going to play the entire episode. These episodes of the show run 30 minutes long-ish. And then following the episode, uh, we're going to have a panel with uh, myself and with Jaina, but also with our lead star, Gigi Edgley. So again, if you're a fan of Farscape or like geeky stuff in general, she's amazing. So you can come and talk to her. Uh, but we have also got Randy Davison, and we've got Tamara Alsaid, who was our young uh, star as well. So we had, uh, and she was, we, we met her uh, end of last year, mm-hmm. and she was in a local production of Into the Woods. She played Riding Red, and she was amazing. Mm-hmm. And so we're really happy to have her. Yeah, she's wonderful. That that production of Into, Woods, Into the Woods was very good, and uh the character that she's playing is 13, 14 years old, and that's the age she's at. And so it was nice to have an age-appropriate an age appropriate um, person in that role. Everyone's very good, all of our performers in that. And I wanted to mention for people that are out of the area, a lot of areas have a Comic-Con, but we're talking about the Comic-Con, Comic-Con International that's based here in San Diego. And we've been to some of the other Comic-Cons. They're great fun. I you know, don't mean to put down other Comic-Cons. I just wanted to differentiate. Ours the one that has just an unbelievable number of people. 170,000 people for five days. Oh, that's why I couldn't get from... <laughs> <laughs> yes. So big that they're shutting down the street in front of the convention center this year. Yeah, they're um, actually taking over downtown. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, well, they, they pretty much have for years, but yeah. at least finally they're kind of actually helping address the, the, the traffic problem. Uh, but I also wanted to also mention there we had three... Well, actually, there's 
five other actors in, in this production, but three others uh, that uh, were involved as well. And I want to sh- kind of shout out to them. There's Joe Paulson, uh, who is a local actor. He's also done some stuff for the Old Globe. We're really happy to have him involved. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our or one of our actresses was actually the one that we spent the most time looking for because we were looking for an Australian little girl. Uh, we thought Southern California, we ought to be able to find a little Australian <laughs> actress. And eventually we had to go across the pond and have it recorded remotely. Uh, there was a young lady that, uh, or there was a woman that was a professional sound uh, person. And she had a daughter that did the part for us. And she banged it out of the ballpark. She did an amazing job. But that's her name is Mary Grace Gregg. And then, of course, we had Larry Nemechek, who is a friend of ours, uh, who's best known to people who are into Star Trek. Because he he was the editor for Star Trek uh, magazine for a number of years, mm. um, and he was also in the fan films of Star Trek Continues. And so, if you liked Bones in Star Trek Continues, he played the op- the Doctor in two of the episodes of Star Trek Continues. Um, but uh, and then, of course, Jana and I also have bit parts in in it. So Jana plays the part of the computer, and I'm a robot. So so can can we get a little bit of a sample of the computer? Well, in both cases, they were um, they were um, manipulated digitally to yeah. sound a little more. Uh, but I just sort of follow the ideal of like in Logan's Run, you know, just sort of the calm and not particularly um, up and down with emotions voice. Mm. So you know, it's like there is a wanted murderer in the front yard, you know, that sort of thing, where there just isn't, you know, it's it's declarative. We're going to tear your eyes yeah. out. Yes, you know. <laughs> Death is imminent, you know, it is, and that's actually a little bit too up. But anyway, just calm, steady, whatever you have to say. Um, so that's that's what I did with that. But it was really fun being in the sound booth with, with the other performers, and uh, we had so much fun um, at that I, recording session. I can session. only uh, just imagine how much fun you guys have doing it. And you're going to be doing this in your at, at the panel? Yeah, we're, or? We're, well, yeah, we, we'll present the episode. Um, right there live. And, well, no, we're not doing no, it live. No, okay. No, we're playing. We're playing back the recorded, produced. Oh, okay. Episode. Okay. Uh, no, we're not doing old timey radio. Um, <laughs> um, people have actually. The one thing that it's, it's actually kind of fun is that our first ep- episode, uh, someday over you. Uh, even whenever we were doing it, the one thing that we kept on talking about is that you know this would actually work as a stage play. And so maybe far further like down the road, one act play type, you know, thing yeah, like kind that. of a one act play. And so we actually started talking about, you know, maybe when we're done with all this other stuff, this might be kind of fun to go back and stage uh, as yeah. a one act play. And so we'd love to do it. The only main thing is we have to get one of the actresses uh, who uh, was in that one from San Francisco because she lives in San Francisco. Um, but um, anyway, uh, but yeah, we're 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 like I said, we're gonna have the. Uh, play the episode then shortly thereafter we'll have a Q&A with with the cast and so we would love people to come and and listen to the show get a chance to meet Gigi uh and ask questions this and is, so this is amazing so uh our mobile filmmaking uh workshop thing is also on Friday the 20th but it's from one to two Yes, so just hang out and, for an hour. Yeah. After that, and then then we'll we'll be on at three. Yeah, so it's pretty cool on the timing. So it's all about us at yes. Comic Con on Friday. Yes. Just want to make sure everybody understands. Well, <laughs> also the the Neil Morgan Library is is where ours are. Where is yours located? It's oh, ours yeah. is over at the Sheraton. What is it? The Marriott or whatever. She's yeah. in the real rooms. 
in the <laughs> no, she's she's over by the convention center, but not well. Anyway, that would give people sufficient time to get from oh, one definitely. panel yeah. to the other oh, because yeah. um, we're a few. She just we're, the bridge. Yeah, we we you have to go over the bridge towards towards the the library, which is in San Diego. You can't miss it. It looks like a big silver Easter egg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course, if you're really dedicated, I mean, really, really dedicated, you come to our panel with Susie on right. Thursday. And they just stay there until right? <laughs> for 24, 26 hours. Um, bring your tent. Uh, bring your tent <laughs> and camp out because say you want to be one of the first people to hear these haunted hills from Uncharted Regions. That's pretty cool, though. Um, and, oh, and by the way, if, while you're crossing that bridge, look for the zombies. You always look for the zombies. <laughs> and the dinosaurs. You know, I never dress up as anything. I I used to dress up as things a lot, like just sporadically when I was a kid, but I haven't done that. You just dress as a mobile filmmaker. Yeah, I just, I you know, usually what happens is I get compliments, you know, I love your cosplay. I'm like, oh, thank you. I'm like, what did I do? Because I'm not wearing a cosplay. <laughs> I don't. I I don't uh, anymore. Primary from a a practical point is that usually Comic Con is in the nineties, yep. and I don't like melting now that I'm old, <laughs> and so I'm not that dedicated to my art. You know, I could see you doing the steampunk because you have some pretty interesting. I've seen you know pictures of you wearing really interesting coats and. Uh, yeah, and I, I I could do and... steampunk. I I like it though. I'm kind of a. A purist is the fact that some of the steampunk stuff actually goes a little far for me. He said, I just want to do straight a Victorian, you yeah. know, because, you know, actual Victorian kind of stuff. And so sometimes it's like, oh, why are you wearing ge- you know, gears in those locations? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, but yeah, I, I whenever I was younger and particularly when I was a kid, my, the ver- first ever convention I went to, I was uh, in 79 and I was a little tiny, chunky Darth Vader, Aww. and I have a picture from from that. And so that was my first ever cosplay. Oh, is that of any something kind. we can uh, post on? The, I have uh, a picture. I'll share it with you if you want to see it. Okay, uh, you know, yeah. You know, so you well, can share, we'll share with all our Darth, listeners. My little Darth Vader. Uh, do you do costume. the? Do you do the Darth Vader um, voice? Yeah. Do Oh, I know that's about it. You know, <laughs> otherwise I've got this little Mickey Mouse voice that just doesn't work. Come to the dark side. <laughs> Come to the dark side. We have better cookies. I don't know. Well, sometimes you know I don't wear costumes at at Comic Con, but some years if I've just come in, you know, what I thought was a nice summer outfit or whatever, I've had people come up and say, "Oh, who are you being?" And it's like, uh, "These are just my clothes." <laughs> I dress this way every day because I'm a freak. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I or, have, or, say, or, or just fashionable. We're doing we're doing perfect with time. Okay, great. Um, so so okay. So when when we do our notes, um, I want to share some links of your website. Okay, are there shows also that they can? We are not because we're we're hoping ultimately for the show to be aired on broadcast and so what we're doing right now is we're taking individual episodes to different conventions Mm. and so uh whenever we have the full run of 13 then our hope is either to get onto either pbs slash npr and have them broadcast over the air uh, or failing that um or additionally to that or uh, what have you uh making them available on something like itunes audible 
right. and, and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, because I kind of discovered radio drama in the 80s, uh, and I was listening to, it was kind of a golden age for radio drama because Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy came out then. Lord mm. of the Rings radio drama came out back really? then. Really? Yeah, I was, didn't know. Yeah, it was amazing. It was wow. amazing. And so, uh, but there was a series that was actually kind of a guiding star from whenever we did the first edition of Uncharted Regions called Bradbury 13, which of course was based on the works of Ray Bradbury and was wonderful. And I, I still have those those tapes. And... Uh, incredible series, and that was really a huge influence on. There's a lot of podcasts that are that are like, you know, kind of like what you guys are right. are doing too. Right. Have you guys ever thought about doing a series? Like, I I don't know how they're able to pull these out because they do them once a week. Yeah, that's that's the thing for us is that we are really uh, we are hyper produced. Yeah. You know, because we, we 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 approach these like as you said, like it's a motion picture every yeah, episode. Yeah, you can't do that once a week. And I we mean, can't do just, that. I yeah. mean, and also too is that we don't want to run into the thing as we're on the air because we're on the air. I don't want to say you can't. I I apologize. No, for that. no, but, because no, but, I mean, there's there's but always, is, is, there's you know, a level of still, quality that's that's related. Yeah. I would rather put out thirteen episodes that are very polished and very well done and worth people's time right tuning in for then i'm on and they're going oh my god this is a rehash of episode 327 <laughs> and you know whatever they're stuck in the cave again and i don't know what's going on and but but in addition to all this other stuff i'm also writing the music for for the series right and so that takes a lot of time plus you're just, sponsoring our film festival <laughs> you know and we have a life yeah you know, we have other things <laughs> that we have to do and, and you're so, involved with the film um, making yeah. you know community so, here too so you know our goal is basically we treat it like a season so we're going to do the first 13 everything goes well everybody likes it great we'll come back we'll do season two well we have a we have a community that we just sort of launched because um, you were talking about, you know, the mobile filmmakers and how wonderful it was to meet them and stuff like that and um, and stuff like that. Um, and uh, one of the things that I was told in previous years as well is like there's this community that's evolving from the from. Well, they were they only knew of my film festivals. Your film festival is creating this community. So they started off as tadpoles. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so they were like, you know. I started noticing there were people that were, well, like this year, right? There was Norell and uh, Norell Nash, Brian Hennings. Brian Hennings came last year as well. He's from Perth in Australia. Norell is closer to um, Sydney. And so was uh, Jason Van Genderen, who came to do the, I know, uh, that special uh, presentation with Film Breaker. And it was really interesting when all three of them had never met before. And all three of them, I know, you know, Australia is a huge place, but to, for all three of them to come to our film festival in San Diego to and, meet. And see, we have a tie into that because the lead character in Uncharted Regions is Australian. Yeah, well, okay. So, and then Brian Hennings and Ari, uh, they were... Um, so Brian Hennings, after our film festival, was at the Toronto Smartphone Film Festival in Canada. And um, I was talking to Aris Tyros, who was in last year's film festival, who's Canadian. And um, turns out that they met and they had a coffee or something together, you know, and while they were there. So they were able to meet up. But they met the first time in our film festival last year. And so... 
I guess what I'm trying to get to is like there is a community, like a family almost that's that's been happening, you know, over the years. And so when I first launched this in 2009, um, there wasn't that at the time yet. Um, there weren't, from what I hear, our film festival was the first one that actually had a live venue for people to actually meet in person. But it was starting to form into a network sort of a thing, uh, into a community, but mostly online. And some of them would meet online, and then they would meet in a physical film festival after that. So there's this growing community. So what I wanted to do here in San Diego was to connect the San Diego wonderful community here of filmmakers and video people and artists in general, audio, also visual, whatever, into this other global community, all sharing by making videos with their phones um, and films, of course, and then connecting in the film festival and getting, you know, becoming international filmmakers. Um, And so one of the things that we have, we have a contest going on right now. So it's called, uh, it's a hashtag, Mobilize Stories, right? And then we have on social media, mobile app Mobilize Stories, on Instagram, uh, Twitter, and Facebook. And uh, if you use the hashtag, then I like to retweet or share or whatever just to show support. And I want all of them to sort of do that with each other when they see that hashtag. And one way to do that also was to help help keep the ball rolling throughout the year was the contests. And so you were talking about, uh, Jaina was talking about how it's not just you know, this film festival in San Diego, there are, uh, not film festival, um, comic convention. Uh, there's comic conventions all over the world. And so the first contest, because we just launched this for July, is about, com- is about comic conventions. So can you give our listeners just a little bit of a, of an understanding of how they can take video clips they've shot with their phones and maybe create little videos and submit them into that contest? Um, I'll try. Um, and so uh, the main thing is is that, that if you go to a convention, you're going to have lots of opportunities to shoot all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, because if you've never been to one of these conventions, uh, A, number one, obviously the obvious thing is that there are going to be a lot of people in cosplay. Mm-hmm. And so so wearing costumes, and so they may be steampunk, they may watch Star Wars or Star Trek or whatever you know your, your fandom you're into, you're going to find people there who are in these costumes. And so uh, a lot of these people are wannabe theater people. You know, they like acting out and doing little scenes and stuff. And so you could get them to, to get together and you know, kind of quickly script something out and have them act out a scene from something like that. Uh, but the other thing, too, is maybe you're more of an, a documentary-bent kind of person. And the, the great thing about it is is you have fans from all over the world, but even better, you have creators from all over the world. And so this is something that Jane and I have actually have done in the past is that we hunted down various people who worked on different shows or on comic books or whatever. And most uh, you'll find that most of these creators, you know, short of being like the, the big, super gigantic television star kind of people or whatever, right. most of them you can walk up to them and say, hey, whatever, can I take five or ten minutes of your time and let's talk about 
you know, whatever. Yeah. And so, and the beautiful thing is you have your camera, it's right there. You have the phone and you can capture some footage and have them answer a few questions. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure Susie has some recommendations about, you know, getting the sound and everything else taken care of uh, because there are all, all kinds of little devices and stuff that, that you can work with. That There so is, but there's something, see, because when you're going to Comic-Con, you really want to go light mm-hmm. because yes. there's a lot of walking and things like that. And I usually tell people, I'm, I'm, you can't see these, you guys, but um, I have my, my ear pods or whatever you call these, my earbuds from my iPhone. Well, they have a microphone because that's what you use to have a conversation with someone on the phone. You could just plug this in and hand them, you know, the microphone part and say, just talk into that. And that way you've got a microphone or you can use an iRig and a conventional microphone with an XLR cable or wireless or however you want to do that. But I'm just trying to say for people to stay light to do something like that. And you can get you can ask people questions and they can go on, but you can do what you guys do and cut them up. You've got a little gadget right here. That yeah. she could do the sound with really yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, she's got a, a, a Zoom HN1 uh, or H4N. H4N, right. There's just, like, like Neil said, there's just so many opportunities for creativity with whatever Comic-Con you can get to. Um, even just something like the array of people in costumes lining up to get coffee or, you know, you could go into, um, at our Comic-Con, we have an artist's alley where you could go up and ask people about what their comic is or uh, tell us about your art. You could do the same things with book authors doing signings. Um, so there's a lot of stuff you could do that's the non-fiction type stuff. But there's also just so much opportunity for fun, you know, like if, where else are you going to see, you know, like a hundred Harley Quinns all together or, you know, two dozen Princess Leas as the dancing slave girl. Um, and so there's just a lot of things you could do, um, you know, just treat it like um, kind of like you would a travelogue or you could treat it as, you know, kind of a spontaneous little story you could do. And as Neil was saying, a lot of people would be willing to participate. But um, just use your imagination and see what you can do for a short film. Your road trip to Comic-Con. <laughs> Or, or even just the play of people who are in your hotel lobby, some of them in costumes and some of them with nothing to do with Comic-Con that don't know where they, what is happening and why all these people in, in, in weird costumes are around. So there's, just, there's, there's so much room for, for fun. Yeah, and you know, for listeners, for some of you who maybe you can't go to a comic convention, you know, you can do a narrative, you know, film about, your dream to go to one, say, just as an example, as long as the topic is about a comic convention where you could be, you know, I'm trying to get the tickets and I'm, and I'm not getting the tickets and maybe you could do your own cosplay and pretend or if you don't have a badge but you have a comic con in your town, you can go outside and say there it is, you know, and form a story around that. Um, just as long as it's in that theme, because, you know, it just dawns on me, you know, some people may not be the lucky ones like I used to be to get a badge. You know, it's like you have to know it's almost like you have to go to Hollywood to get into Comic-Con right now. It's really getting more and more difficult. And yeah. the one here is, is so popular. It's getting more and more difficult. Yeah. Have your friends that can go or, or your social media acquaintances Skype in and capture what they have to say. Get That yeah. way you could get you know, feeds from all different parts of, of the of a convention. There's a lot you can do even if you can't physically be there. And vloggers. I mean, you just mentioned that, and I remember the first Comic-Con that I went to in 2016, 
where there were people vlogging and they had all the equipment like filmmakers uh, and they were walking around just talking and vlogging about, you know, they were like hosting the Comic-Con thing, kind of like Entertainment Tonight or, or something like that. But they were YouTube uh, personalities um, and even they could could enter this. I just think that it's a really neat experience for for people to go to an event like this because, I mean, you don't have to be a geek. I'm not that savvy. You know, I mean, I hate to say it like that, but you have to be a geek savvy person to really get into it. Um, But I can tell you right now from my experience, no, you don't, (laughs) because it's so enjoyable. And I'll tell you, my experience at Comic-Con from the first year on, it's almost like when you go to a rock concert or a concert or something like that and you're talking to people you're all like brothers and sisters, you know, you're all one. There's a connection. There's a mutual connection there. It's it's def, it's definitely a community, you know, yeah. and you know that the one great thing about a Comic-Con is that a lot of us, you know, not, not, not all the room, not everyone, but a lot of us were people that were not necessarily, you know, weren't necessarily the popular people when we were going around or whatever. We might have been the one that got bullied or beat up or what have you. Comic Con's kind of a safe place. Is the fact that you know I, I here are the things that I love, and the great thing about it is, is no one's going to look at you sideways because you like Doctor Who or you like this comic book or you like this television show. This is the the one place on Earth where you're safe, you know. And they go, these other people love this stuff too, and they all share their passion, their enjoyment, and so I, I love it. It's it's a really energetic thing for for five days. You're just walking around, and you go, these are my people. These are my tribe. Exactly. So I'm going to play. That's a perfect segue to go into this little game. We always do a little game. And our listeners who listen to more than one of these, they know. They're like, when are you going to put them on the spot and play this game? Okay. It's 20 seconds. All right. So I'm going to give you both. So you have to get close. Okay. Um, and do you have a buzzer? Yes, I do, actually. <laughs> uh, wait till you hear this. But um, it'll come on and give and give you that ending. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. You're getting close to it, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I would like for you guys to do is to throw off some, um, some Comic-Con um, recurring panels that you know of that people should go to. You just, your eyes just widened up like, what? Yikes, so, okay. So are you guys ready? 20 seconds? Yeah. So you both can butt in. You, you Just chime in. Okay? For people who are interested, there are always Wait. things about how to... Wait, Jesus. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start. And just, you know, you've only got 20 seconds, so you'll just want to kind of name them. Okay. Right. All right. And then maybe, uh, maybe we can form a list for the notes just so that people will go, what the hell was that? <laughs> so you guys ready? Get set and go. There are workshops on how to break into comics, whether as a writer or especially as a a visual artist. There's the Black Panel, which offers a lot of people who are comic writers or television people. There's always stuff about Star Trek, including Larry Nemechek's panel. Yeah, and uh, whenever we're doing it, the writing uh, for the computer gaming industry panel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, those 20 seconds go by fast. Yeah, they do. Did I scare you with the... I, I saw you jump. Don't pretend. <laughs> Even I jumped. <laughs> um, so 
is there anything else that you'd like to bring up? I know there's there's a lot of people involved in your thing you might want to name. So, uh, yeah, we, for, let's see, there are going to be 13 episodes in the original, uh, the season one. Uh, and so in addition to, Jane and I are, are both writing episodes for this. But in addition to that, we have Harris Orkin, who has already, you know, we've already produced an episode that he uh, wrote for us called Trail of Fears. Uh, that's kind of a, a Western, but in a very traditional kind of old West kind of thing, but with a twist, because everything in this series has a twist. Um, but in addition to that, we have uh, a couple of friends of ours, Allison Winter and uh, Aaron um, uh, Knowles, who are writing episodes for us. Uh, we have Hannibal Taboo, who is an uh, amazing comic book writer, and he's written something for us. Um, if you are familiar with the old computer game, of, uh, um, not Fallout, uh, uh, Half-Life, mm-hmm. uh, we have the writer from Half-Life, uh, Mark uh, Laidlaw, who's going to write an episode for us. And probably my favorite person, uh, who's just actually a really close buddy of, of ours that we've known for a long time, uh, is Jeffrey Thorne. And Jeffrey Thorne is the showrunner for the animated Black Panther series oh, wow. uh, from Marvel. And so having him in our, uh, in our writings room, uh, we're really proud of. And we made friends with him at Comic-Con years ago. He's uh, done everything from comic books to Star Trek novel work and television work. He's amazing. And... And uh, we really have great respect for the guy. Yeah, he started off, he, he'd won uh, a contest writing a short story for a, uh, a contest for people who are interested in Star Trek. And he wrote a, a short story for them, and then he did a Star Trek novelization, and he kept on going. So he was a producer on The Librarians, on Leverage. Uh, and so now, like I say, he's worked his way up to showrunner on this particular animated thing. So uh, really looking forward to seeing Jeff's story. Um, and um, there's also a script that's inspired by stories um, of his own childhood by our good friend Jimmy Diggs. He's really busy. He's doing his own writing projects and all. And so probably Neil and I will do a lot of writing on that. But we, we, he, will, he will collaborate because it needs to have the right flavor and everything. But that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I have two stories I want to do, so whichever one we do first will be whatever I finish first. <laughs> but um, And then we'll... We'll, I'm yeah. sure, collaborate on some other yeah. stuff. But that's sort of our, sort of our writing stable of stuff. I also want to say, uh, shout out a couple of thank yous to various people who've basically kind of helped us along so far. Uh, number one, again, Harris Orkin, who, like I said, had done a trail of fears. We've recorded uh, our last episode or the episode that we did with Gigi. We recorded up there. Uh, it's looking like we will probably record our next episode up there as well. Um, there's also Chelsea Scott and Matt Alcobia who allowed us to do some recording up in at the Escondido area. Um, and so we really appreciate them letting us come into their recording space up there and uh, do some recording. And Escondido is a place in San Diego County going north. Yes. Just it's, it's about yeah. 60 miles yeah, fifty miles. North Escondido or, Esc- or Escondido? Yeah, Escondido is inland. And then also, um, we've had tremendous help and support and sponsorship from our friends Ben and Keith at who do the Two Gay Geeks podcast. The great guys, good friends, and they've been very supportive of our creative endeavors. I met oh, one of them. Yes, last oh, year. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, there's Ben and Ben and Keith, and so uh, I introduced you to I think yeah. Keith. Um, yeah. Um, and so they still want to actually have you on their show sometime if you can oh. work out the schedule. Um, there you go. <laughs> um, Call me, and, um, <laughs> and then, oh, also, and last but not least, uh, I want to thank Gene Turnbow of Krypton Radio. Um, because uh, Gene and and his wife Susan have been gigantic supporters uh, of ours and 
last Halloween, they actually uh, ran our premiere episode four times on Halloween. Yeah, I got to. And to so a uh, really big thank you to Gene. Uh, Gene has been chomping the bits. He wants to be first run for, for Uncharted Regions. And so we talk about so it's That's not out entirely out of, out of the cards. We'll see how things are going to fall out or whatever. But we love them to death. And uh, it's if you are into geeky things... Um, <laughs> Uh, check out Krypton Radio because they play music. They have several different pro- podcasts that they carry on their network. Including now the Two yeah. Gay Geeks. Yes, and the Two Gay Geeks are, are on their network now. And so if you like geeky things, Krypton Radio is the place to go. And so I will push their tagline, which is it's Wi-Fi for your sci- or sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> and, and we also owe, for getting us started, um, we owe thanks to uh, Miguel Rodriguez of yes, the Horrible Imaginings yes. Film Festival and Beth Accomando, who is the local um, arts reporter for the PBS affiliate here. And K- Yes, and KPBS and uh, also our our uh, uh, engineer. Who, Don Johnson. Don Johnson. You know, I asked him if he, he was going to wear Miami the... from Miami Vice? Yeah, that's what we said. He said, are you going to show up in the white <laughs> shirt and the white coat? But he was the engineer for our first episode uh, to get us recorded, and we have a really big thanks to... KPBS, Miguel Rodriguez, because he had our, our first debut of the first episode was at Horrible Imaginings Film Festival, which was crazy because we actually opened a film festival. And I think that's where we met because uh, we played one of Conrad mo- Conrad Mess's movies, which was uh, about zombies. It was a one minute film and we played it in um, at the Media Arts Center on their big screen. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that's where because well we, we we've definitely been of course we are mutual friends with Pia yeah Pia well well that's where Fresh we Bruce. met after yes. but yes. we uh, Pia and um, and J R Thrasher right are sponsors. also sponsors right um, and uh, and we met at Pia's birthday at a restaurant and yes. we kept going where were we seeing each other before and it was mm-hmm. a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, at there, and that's when we finally. I mean, it took a while. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure our listeners can can you know relate to that when you see somebody, you're going, where? And you know, you casually just go, must have been from another lifetime. Well, and that's a, just another aspect of the San Diego filmmaking community. It is very tight here. Yeah, and you think it is as large a city as San Diego <laughs> would be, you wouldn't necessarily know everything. But uh, pretty much, it seems like if I don't know somebody in the filmmaking community here. I at least know someone who knows that person. Um, it's very tight, uh, amazing group of people, and again, love them all to death. We uh, and, and we've been very, very pleased that even though we're an audio drama, uh, that they let us play on their forums and <laughs> they don't yell at us for for not being video. Uh, but again, we've but, done video projects. Yeah, I was so. going to say you've done um, that too. Uh, so. Is that it for you? Well, or? yeah, that's it. That's it. That's all we have to say in the entire universe. That's <laughs> it. That's, that's the total finality of it. But no. Uh, but anyway, uh, so uh, I would, if I can go ahead and, and snake some uh, some PR here. So if you would like to find out more about Uncharted Regions, uh, you can find us on Facebook. Um, you can find us on Twitter. But we are Uncharted Region. Singular, because there wasn't enough room for an S. So uh, there's only one Uncharted Region on Twitter. <laughs> uh, but you can find us there. And then also we have our official website, uh, unchartedregions.com. You can check us out, find out more about the stuff we've done. It's kind of out of date. We're, we're going to catch up on it, but we've actually been busy actually making episodes. So hoping we'll get back there and get up to date or whatever. But you can find out more about us uh, and the, the stuff we're working on. Um, and then, of course, Jana and I both have 
or both on, on Twitter and on Facebook uh, individually. Jaina has a blog. I do as well. Um, so I'm just neilhalford.com. She's janahalford.com. Um, and so obviously if you have any questions or you have you know, questions or comments or what, or, or what have you, uh, be, feel free to throw those out to us. And yeah. do you have any closing comment or, or? No, just that we really appreciate being on the podcast. Thank you so much. Yes, that was awesome. Thank you for so much for bringing us. Oh, it's on. it's always a fun time with both of you. Um, also, they're on our website. <laughs> the uh, the Swords and Circuitry, anyways, yes. is, is on our website. The Swords and Circuitry Studios, our... which is our which is the blanket production studio. So, right. Uncharted Regions is a production of Swords and Circuitry Studios. So that's yeah, it's like uh, mine with Espotello Productions is the the parent mm-hmm. of everything. Um, I guess one last parting shot is that we're looking forward to seeing everybody at the next International Mobile Film Festival. Definitely, right? And uh, I, you know, looking forward to seeing your films. And um, yeah, it's not too soon to have started if you haven't already. Yeah, get started yeah. now. Yeah, getting your <laughs> getting your submissions ready. So what's That's the deadline? Right. What's That's the deadline right. for the next? Yeah, because they're running. Uh, the submission, the gates have been opened. Oh, they have. Yeah. Um, the deadline is November nineteenth for the short films and October nineteenth for those feature length, forty to ninety minute mobile films. Okay, we'll um, see. So you're gonna have to get cracking all all, all that stuff, <laughs> and so. We're going to make a feature film about both of us dying trying to get this, this series. <laughs> it's going to be a feature um, or a short a, film? It, it's going to be a feature. It's a long, <laughs> long death. Long death. <laughs> no, uh, anyway, uh, but uh, no. But uh, like I said, we're looking forward to seeing uh, all the films, seeing all the filmmakers uh, at whatever. Uh, whip those phones out, get shooting, uh, and uh, make some magic happen. Awesome. And you guys. Um, when you do something mobile filmish, don't forget to use the hashtag mobilize stories and I'll share it even with these guys. Yeah, we want to see it. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys. Thank you. <laughs>